Welcome to the Christian Life Church Podcast. We hope that you enjoy and are encouraged by this week's message. And if so, we would love for you to visit clcwinnipeg.ca to get further connected with our ministry, to submit a prayer request, or to find out how you can take the next step in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Christian Life Church Winnipeg. And we pray that you would be blessed through the message you're about to hear. Question for you. Are, are any of you like Google Maps or GPS users at all? On occasion I am. Um, and you know how it gives you the, the estimated time of arrival? Do any of you like to try to beat that time? I love that. My, one of my greatest accomplishments, I think, in life was I had a 30-minute drive, and I made it in 24 minutes, which is a 20% increase of the time that they thought that it was going to take me. And, uh, I mean, I'm still talking about that, so that's, that's a big moment for me. But sometimes when we're on those routes, the time actually goes up when we run into unexpected obstacles. One of those things that Winnipeg kind of features is trains. We have a lot of trains in our city. I, I didn't really realize that until I started driving in other cities. And I was like, huh, like around like the main perimeter highway, having trains stop you is not a normal thing in other cities. That's part of the Winnipeg experience. But I'm, I'm the type of person who... When there's an obstacle or a train stopping me, I like to try to find a different route and try to go a different way. And I change directions, which is something I learned from my parents, mostly my mother. It doesn't usually go any faster, but you keep moving. Even if you arrive later, you were moving the whole time, which is like a weird consolation prize for that style of driving. But but sometimes in... In life, we actually just have to change our course, whether it's in traffic or maybe it's bigger things. Like uh, negative examples would be that we might lose our job or a relationship might end. Um, us or someone close to us is sick, and then we have to take care of that. Or on a positive note, maybe you fall in love or you get a promotion that causes you to be a little busier and it changes your schedule or you're on the road more. You find out you're expecting a child. That's a, that's a big change in plans. And that's kind of what we're talking about today is those moments where your plans change and where all of a sudden something gets inserted into your life that has, makes you change your priorities. And all of a sudden, you have to reorient the way that you live. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, Verse 1 to 16 today. It's Matthew 2, verse 1 to 16. Bit of a longer passage, but it's, it's very interesting. There's a lot of stuff going on here. So starting in verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And he would have been disturbed because at that time, he was essentially the king of the Jews. He was king of Israel. And so this would have been a threat to him, as he had not just had his firstborn child, who would be the one who would take over for him. 
So it says he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me too, so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all of the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So we kind of have three main figures in that story. We have the Magi who have come from another country to come and give honor to Jesus, to this newborn king of the Jews. We have Herod who hears about this and is immediately threatened and asks that they would report back to him when they find Jesus so that he can go and worship him, which we realize very quickly is not at all what his intentions were. And we have Joseph, who picks up his family after having a dream, and they basically run off in the middle of the night, and they begin their journey to Egypt, where they lived for several years during Jesus' childhood as refugees. So we're going to look at each of those examples very quickly. The Magi. So it says that they were warned in the middle of the night. And I don't do this very often, but I'm going to talk a little bit about the Greek word. And I'm not by any means a Greek scholar. And I don't usually do this because I don't know it and I don't really like doing it. But I came across this little bit of information this week. And I wanted to share it with you. Um, the word that we've translated into warned came from the Greek word krematizo, which implies that they were actually getting an answer. So out of the context, we can say, or we can realize that they were actually seeking God's will on how to return to their country. So they actually received an answer to prayer. They were looking to God to find out, should we actually tell Herod where this child is? Are his intentions actually harmful or are they, are they pure? And they receive an answer in a dream and they do not return through Jerusalem. They go another way. And therefore, they protect Jesus' location. So the Magi were looking to God for answers. They received an answer. And when they did, they obeyed well, and they listened to God in that moment. And we also have Herod. 
Herod did not seek to do God's will. Herod did not seek to do God's will. Herod was a pretty wicked man. If you look at his legacy of things that he accomplished, not only did he order for all of the young boys under the age of two to be murdered in Bethlehem, he also actually murdered his own wife and several of his sons and other relatives. And he was really all about Herod. And his, the positive part of his legacy was that as a ruler that was placed there by the Roman Empire, he was actually like kind of a master builder. He built all these public buildings and palaces and this state-of-the-art harbor at the time. And he left all of these like beautiful structures that lasted for hundreds of years. But he also had this very, very evil side to him where he could order for young innocent children to be put to death. Because Herod was actually just focused on him and his kingdom. And shortly after this, he actually, he died like a fairly painful death. Um, And after that, his legacy, his family, and the dynasty that he had set up proved to be extremely dysfunctional. They divided the kingdom into three different territories, placing one of his children over each of those territories, and it lasted one more generation, and then the Romans actually, by the end of that century, had taken over the Herodian rule, and they inserted themselves as the rulers of Israel. So Herod was all about himself, and then by the end of his, by the end of that century, everything that he had worked for was gone. And then we have Joseph. Joseph was caught by surprise. He was not looking for any kind of answer. I don't think he was asking God, should I be going to Egypt or not? He was not from there. He was in his hometown of Bethlehem. But he receives a dream. And all of a sudden, he's told in the middle of the night, pack up your family and go and get out of this country. It's not going to be safe for you very soon. And he does that. He takes that step, even though that would have been very scary. It would have made them refugees in the land of Egypt. But they followed God, and he was able to protect God's son here on earth. And now we look at him as this great example of faithfulness, of somebody who followed God even when it was really hard, when it was challenging. And he has this positive legacy as the earthly father of the son of God, somebody who was obedient to God even when it was hard. And we can kind of learn from all of these examples of three different people who followed God's directions in different ways, and one who didn't, actually. Two who did, and one who did not. And we see the fruit that that produced in their life. But I think that in order to follow God well, we have to follow his directions well. And I think that's challenging to hear, Um, I personally don't love following directions. Um, I had to just move out of my parents' house because I was sick of them telling me to clean my room. And uh, no one tells me to do that now. But 
I also went to college a couple of years ago and I saw 18 year olds who leave home for the first time and the freshman 15, that's a real thing. They, cause you can eat whatever you want and you don't usually make great decisions when it's left up to you for the first time. And how many people, when they move out, they get into financial trouble very quickly or they get into, um, problematic eating habits or just a variety of other things. They get into relationships they shouldn't be in. There's something about when you actually get directions from somebody who knows better than you that actually improves the quality of your life. And that's kind of like the Christian walk. Jesus tells us that to follow him, we have to obey his commandments because he actually knows better than us. Because if left to our own devices, we often make a mess of our lives. We make poor decisions. Herod is an example of where that path can lead. He was in charge of God's people, and he did not listen to God. And it led him down a very dangerous path. And I came across this story, a little more current of a story. That's a picture of Scott Harrison. And Scott Harrison, uh, I came across his story a year or two ago, and I was reminded of it this week as I was thinking about this passage. So he was raised in a Christian home, uh, his parents were were saved when he was very young. He was about four or five. He grew up in church. He was playing the piano in church. He, he was a good Christian kid until he turned 18 and he moved to New York City. And for the first time, he got a taste of nightclub life. He went to a nightclub and he just loved it. He fell in love with it. He was just energized by it, by the music and the people and the atmosphere, and he wanted more of that. And eventually he found out that he could be a club promoter and professionally work for these clubs. And so he did that for the next decade. And by the end of that decade, he was doing really well. He was one of New York City's top club promoters. He was making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. He was sponsored by Bacardi just to sit at a table in the club and have a bottle of their alcohol on his table. He was paid $4,000 a month just to have their bottle sitting with him. He had a BMW. He was dating a model who had recently been on the cover of a major fashion magazine. He had a phone contact list of 15,000 people, which included several A-list celebrities. And he went on vacations all around the world all the time and, and just lived it up. And by all of like the earthly standards of success, he had it made. And he was kind of living the good life. This was kind of a dream lifestyle that he had set up for himself. But after 10 years of doing that, he was on vacation and he realized that he felt like his life didn't have any meaning. And he started to think about if he were to die very soon what it might say on his tombstone. And he was imagining a tombstone that said, like, Scott Harrison got thousands of people drunk. And that was essentially his legacy that he was leaving at that point. And he started to think that there must be more than that. And his parents, who were still Christians, who were still praying for him every day, had recently sent him a copy of A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God, which is just this classic Christian work. And so he read it on one of his vacations, and then he began to read the Bible, and he realized that he needed to make a change in his life. So in his words, he said, 
He knew that the only way he could change his life was he needed to take a radical, he needed to take a step of radical obedience in order to change his life. And he did. So he started applying to Christian humanitarian organizations. He applied to like 14 or 15 of them. They all said no, because he didn't really have the resume that they were looking for, until one finally said yes. They said, if you pay us $500 a month and agree to go to Liberia, which at the time was the poorest country on earth, they had actually fallen like off of the UN's poverty charts. They were coming out of 10 years of civil unrest. And if you go and serve there on the mercy ships, which are just these big, like, um, floating hospitals, essentially, then, then you can come with us. So he left behind this lifestyle in New York where he was in all kinds of sin. He left, so he quit cold turkey. He quit drinking. He quit. He had been smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. He had a pornography addiction and he had a gambling addiction that was so bad that he was just betting on soccer games in Europe that weren't even televised just because he loved the thrill of it. And he left that all behind. He stopped it one day as he walked onto that ship. And he never looked back after that. He, he served in Liberia for several weeks and came back to New York and was just shocked by the overconsumption, the overindulgence and all of these things. And he started thinking back to these ladies in Liberia who would have to walk five hours a day just to get a bucket of water for their family. And he realized that that was something that he wanted to solve, was the water crisis. And as he looked into it, he realized about a tenth of the world doesn't have safe drinking water, which leads to all kinds of disease. And he dedicated his life to changing that. So he started Charity Water, which is it's an amazing organization that all of the proceeds go directly into providing clean water for people. And in 13 years, he's raised $370 million, which has funded over 44,000 clean water projects in 28 different countries that has brought clean water to over 10 million people. So what a different legacy that he's leaving behind. What a different story and as he was telling the story, he was saying, like, if God can redeem my story and make, make something good come out of where I was, he can do it with you too. As he talks, but he was really, he thought he was just the worst of the worst. But after a radical step of obedience, God was able to use him to literally change the world. And he was a good example of the fact that in order to follow God well, we have to follow his directions well. Jesus calls us to obey him in John 14. He says, in order to follow me, you have to keep my commandments. And that's not easy. It's not a fun thing to hear. But when you realize that there's actually health in the limits that God placed on us, and there's actually benefit to following somebody who knows better than us. It becomes a lot easier. And Jesus also says that, that to follow him is easy, that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. 
He's not some taskmaster who's just giving us commandments for the sake of it. He actually knows what's best for us, and he knows what's most fulfilling for us. And a life following Jesus is a life fulfilled. So my question to you today would be, how might God be calling you to obey him today? And if God gives you new directions today, are you willing to follow him? Are you willing to obey him? Sometimes those are uncomfortable. Sometimes they feel awkward and they get us out of our comfort zone. But do you trust that when you actually follow those directions that God is going to lead you into life and joy and fulfillment? And it might look different for all of us. We might not have a Scott Harrison in the room today, but we might have the parents of somebody like that who have been praying for him every day and who hope that he'll come back to Jesus. Because you don't, when you serve other people and when you show the love of Christ to other people, you never know what the impact is going to be. And you might not see the fruit of that in your lifetime, but it might happen years or decades after you've left this earth and you find out in heaven that that person that you served eventually came to Jesus and changed the world in some way. And honestly, let's dream big. Maybe we do have some people who are going to really make an impact in this room. Maybe we have some world changers here. But in order for that to happen, are we willing to obey God? Are we willing to listen to his directions for our life, to trust that whatever it is that God has for us is a life fulfilled? Do we believe that when we listen to God and when he changes our directions, that it is a joyous occasion and something that is worth following. So I encourage you today to be open to it, that God, in this Christmas season especially, where there are so many people who are hurting and who are just looking for joy, is there a moment or an opportunity where you can, you can obey God? Are you willing to listen for those, those promptings?